The Breakdown Politics with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies telling you what you need to know regarding politics breaking it down politics And welcome to another episode of Politrix with Mercer Prescott and his band of eclectic cronies. Merck, do your thing. What's going on? What's going on? Uh, got a lot of stuff on the docket today, so we're going to just jump right into it. And as I was doing my last minute stuff, you know, I, I always get, uh, in a way, I always get kind of ragged on for being too... Uh, too close-minded, I guess, when it comes to people on the other side of the aisle, right? And even for simple things, people just annoy the shit out of me. Like, I got a, uh, somebody responded to something I put on Sci-Fi about, when we, talk, we talked about Disney and them wanting to be Netflix killers and stuff like that, and, and, my, and my response in that same thread was my, was my response on here, I'm just going to pirate all Disney stuff and just be done with it. I'm not worried about Disney because I'm not, I'm not getting 16 streaming channels. And somebody was like, ooh, I bet copyright is going to be, is going to flag your post. And I was like, yeah, whatever, I don't care. But I caught a post that uh, caught my eye as I was getting ready to jump back on here. And the dude said, because they were talking about, the, the post was about they canceled Daredevil, right? Which we, which, which we didn't think was going to happen because that was like the flagship show. And they canceled Daredevil. So pretty sure Punisher and Jessica Jones are next. And one dude said, Luke Cage and Iron Fist fail because Netflix's forced uh, social justice warrior agenda killed the shows. They made it a boring propaganda piece that nobody wanted to watch. We want entertainment, not indoctrination. I, I think the problem with some people is that they feel if it's not about them, it's uh, indoctrination or social justice warrior stuff. And they, they say just social justice warrior like it's a bad thing. You know, you're fighting for equality for other people. If people look at the comic, if people look at Luke Cage's comic, then they would know that Luke Cage's comic is exactly how the how it was when they were doing it. If they really right. looked at the comic, right? And when it came to, when it came to Luke Cage, it was just trash. I'm just saying, it was just trash, just trash. Yeah, I, I I like Luke Cage. You know, I haven't had a chance to watch the second season yet, but I like the first season. Yes. There were some parts where the first season dragged, but I figured, you know what? It's the first season. They got to get all the exposition out of the way. Iron Fist, not Luke Cage. Oh, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, Iron Fist. The, the first thing, I, I, I watched about six episodes, maybe like, no, not even six episodes. I mean, it like four episodes into the Iron Fist, and I was just like, I don't really care about whoa, this. Whoa, 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 whoa. Bring it back. Bring it back. Politics. Politics. I know, I know, I know. But, um... Don't be trying to uh, come up here and tell this man how to run this house. <laughs> no, it's part of the reason why he's here to keep me on track. Because sometimes I go off the rails a bit, so you know someone's got to keep me on 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 the rails. So you know, but um, Odie, I'm doing my job. <laughs> but it, it it kind of it kind of gets to me how people are, you know, they call liberals close-minded. But the people on the other side of the aisle aren't even trying to 
hear the other side. Like, for instance, I'll give you a quick update on that. We talked about Kid Rock on uh, yesterday, right? I, I actually saw that video of Kid Rock, and they were in Nashville, and um, they had, like, a live Fox News show thing in Nashville, and they had a whole bunch of people in the background. I think it was mostly white people. And then they had Kid Rock, and then they had Steve Doofy. His name is Steve Doocy, but I call him Steve Doofy because he is doofy. And he had on his stupid Nashville jacket and Kid Rock with his stupid – somebody called him – somebody said he had a porn mustache. And he's talking – now, here, here's the thing. Kid Rock was trying to talk about people shouldn't be so sensitive, peace and love, and all that other stuff. And the crowd in the background was just sitting there silent and stone-faced, right? Just frowns on their faces, just everything. But as soon as Kid Rock said, uh, you know, we should love everybody, well, except that bitch, uh, what's her name, from, from The View? Uh, yeah, Joy Behar. Joy Behar. So he said, except for that bitch, Joy Behar. And then the crowd just started applauding. Like when he was talking about peace and love and understanding, the crowd was dead silent. So it almost felt like he said that just to get the crowd pumped up. Because when he was talking peace and love, nobody was saying anything in the background. So this whole thing about, oh, we need to reach out to the other side of the aisle. No, we don't. We, we really don't because they're not, they're not really reaching back. If they were reaching out to us, and we talk about liberals, and we were the ones slapping their hands away, that's one thing. But they're not really trying to reach out to us. They're just, they just want what they want, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I know it seems I, I know I, I run both sides of the gamut Which is like You know I always try to talk about understanding But but when I see people in action It frustrates me And it disappoints me You know I never thought as a, as a kid back in the 80s I never thought that we'd be at this point in time now When it came to race relations When it came, when it comes to Just the way the country is now If you if you had told me that 30 years ago, I'd be like, oh, there's no way. And I'd be wrong. So. It's almost like you took 10 years back from the 80s. It feels more relevant of that time period. Yep. I was actually horrified. I have uh, Remember the Titans on video. I didn't buy it. My brother bought it, and I just kind of, quote, unquote, inherited it. It was a good movie, though. I liked it. But um, I was horrified. I thought that movie, like, the time period of that movie, I thought that was like the 50s. It was the 70s. I was, like, I was born in the 70s. What the shit is going on here? But, you know, it was really, it was really 1950-style racism in the 70s, which I mean, is kind of weird. When you think about it, yeah, because, I mean, like the Civil Rights Act of, what, 64? Whatever year it was, 64 or 65. Mm-hmm. And whenever the Civil Rights Act came out and they – Role for integration, that's only 10 years. Like, people hadn't even graduated high school by the yeah. time, you know what I'm saying? So if, when you right. think about perspective like that, like, these people were forced to integrate, and most of them opted to go somewhere else yeah. and just start their own private schools and said, to hell with the public schools. Which, which is, the law. So, yeah. Which is insane. But uh, moving on, they had um, – oh, hold on. For some reason, I have an Ariana Grande article up here. Oh, God, let me get that out of the way. Um, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, I talk about her a lot. 
you know. She's from New York's 14th district. As you should. She is. And, um, and um, she is a rising star for all the right reasons. When you, whenever you hear a rising star in Democratic circles, it means somebody like Beta O'Rourke, which means that the donors love him because he's non-threatening. And I mentioned Beta O'Rourke. I said, if Beto running against any Republican, he has my vote hands down. But him running against other progressives, no, I'm not voting for Beto. I don't hate Beto. And if he were to win, I wouldn't be opposed to voting for him. But as far as me voting against him, against like Bernie Sanders or somebody like that, nah. Bernie all the way. Because Bernie is going full throttle, you know. We want free public college. We want Medicare for all. We want $15 minimum wage across the country. We want infrastructure. We want all the stuff that we should have had 20 fucking years ago. And, you know, we have people like Beto who are just incrementalists. And it's not fair to call him that. I'm talking about his, his donors. Not him, but his donors are more like incrementalists and stuff like that. And I think I mentioned last week that some donors were holding off on backing Democratic candidates because they wanted to find out if Beto was going to run. So even Barack Obama is endorsing Beto O'Rourke. Keep in mind that Beto O'Rourke hasn't announced that he's going to run yet. Mm-hmm. You know, because people are calling him the white Barack Obama, which is kind of weird. <laughs> the white Barack Obama? Oh, because he's white? Yeah. You, the white or the white? White. Okay. <laughs> so, but um, going back to, to AOC, uh, AOC is one of those people who are just basically like, look, her big thing right now is a Green New Deal. And the Green New Deal is basically America getting all, off of fossil fuels and by 2035 being totally on renewable energy, right? It's 20, what, 2018, almost 2019. So another what? Uh, 15 years? Oh, you mean, oh, yeah. Between, between now and 2035, yeah, it, it could happen. Yeah. 15, 16 years, you know, if we, put our, if we put our backs into it. I mean, you figure there's more solar employees than there are coal employees. So it's, it's already happening. You know, we just need to put it in, you know, put it in the overdrive. But Mike Huckabee, and, and I will say one thing about Republicans when Barack Obama makes a flub and says that there's like 54 states or some dumb shit that he said by accident, right? No one takes it to heart because we know that Barack Obama is a highly intelligent person. So we know that if you talk enough, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to flub. You're going to say something off, right? The reason why we get on Trump for doing stuff like that because he really believes that shit. Trump's a moron. It's just that he just got bigger morons to vote for him. That's all that is. There's no intelligence test to be a politician, right? There's no requirement for it. You just have to be an American citizen of a certain age, and you can run, you know. So there was a a clip where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez accidentally said that there were – she went to say three branches of government. She said three branches of Congress, and the Republicans haven't let that go. So Mike Huckabee said – uh, because uh, he says, uh, he had a tweet, Ocasio-Cortez compares her election to the moon landing, huh? Big difference. Moon landing was lunar, 
not loony, okay? Uh, moon landing done by people who knew what they were doing. Those who elected someone who thought they were three branches of Congress did not. And I was just like, Mike Huckabee. Okay, let's just put it to rest then. How about y'all both have a test? And you can have a geography test, a history test, and let's see who passes. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, instead of doing debates, why don't we just do that? Just have like a, an intelligence goal or some shit. Well, if there, if there was an intelligence goal, Mike Huckabee wouldn't be, uh, he wouldn't even have been governor. I mean, you figured, you figured talk about a guy who thinks that uh, humans and dinosaurs live together, that, that like the earth is 6,000 years old. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what kind of test he could pass. But Ocasio-Cortez... Everybody should, there should be a, like an intelligence bowl, like kind of like a reality TV show. <laughs> and it's every week. Now, the and bad thing about that, not, not um, not mean to cut you off, but that was part of a way to get black people and even some poor people uh, to not vote by making uh, tests before they yeah, can vote. Like I know that those are like poll tests and or poll yeah. and all types of shit that discourage black people from voting. But how about we discourage people, idiots, from running? Like instead of yeah. focusing on the people that are voting, let's focus on the people that are running who don't know shit. Well, the problem is, is that we should be able to recognize people who don't know shit and not yeah. vote for them. <laughs> and people, yeah, yeah, the problem yeah. is they want people who are just like them, and that's not what we really want. And Lewis Black said it best. If there's a candidate that you could sit down and have a beer with, sit down and have a beer with them, and then don't vote for them because you need yep. somebody extraordinary in that spot. Not, not, not the motherfucker you see at the bus stop every day. But um, AOC clapped back on Mike Huckabee, and she said, a Green New Deal will take a level of ambition and innovation on a scale of the moon landing. We've done it before, and we could do it again. He said, leave the false statements to Sarah Huckabee. She's much better at it. Says, and also, because he, he still calls himself Governor Mike Huckabee on his uh, Twitter feed, he said, you haven't been a governor of any state for 10-plus years now. And I was like, damn. Making that boy pee blood, straight kidney shots. The problem with, with AOC to, to um, Republicans is that when they get on her, she's not afraid to clap back. And when she claps back, there is no kid gloves. She comes straight back at you. That's my secret girlfriend right there. Don't mess with AOC unless you want to get verbally beat up. Yeah, she, she has no diplomacy, and that's what we need right now. Yeah. She's not being political with it. She's saying what she feels. Yeah. She was like, you ain't been a good... <laughs> I would have been a little bit more... You ain't been the governor of shit, motherfucker. <laughs> Just don't call yourself governor. Barack Obama, put it like this. If I saw Barack Obama in the street, I make it sound like he's just walking through Cary, North Carolina. But if I saw him in the street, I would still call him Mr. President, right? But at the same time, he doesn't call himself President Barack Obama because he's not president no more. He's just Barack Obama now. Okay, I got to put devil's advocate. I got you. So you just said that um, AOC has no filter, correct? Uh, For the most part, yeah. For the most part, she has no filter. Now... Devil's advocate is Donald Trump. He doesn't have a filter. 
The problem with the problem with that is is that Donald Trump is almost always on the offensive. AOC is more defensive because she's not going to just rag on people willy nilly. When she does stuff like that, it's in her own defense. Donald Trump will just be on the offensive. So he'll just come out out of space and be like, you know what? They should just put Michael Cohen in, in prison for a long time. He said that today too. You know, he just comes out of his like whenever something he see when he sees something that makes him mad. No matter what, he'll just come out and just tweet about it with no filter. Well, but also too, I was reading something um, that really kind of helped me make more sense of the phenomenon that is Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. And what he he doesn't speak in complete sentences. What he says are things that don't make sense to anybody who's actually looking for like a full or a complete sentence. Right. But he lets his followers fill in the gaps as to what he means. So yeah. he says we're gonna do. He he'll talk in fragments and say big things and then say like the beginning of a sentence and let people fill in what they'd like to infer from it. Call open ended questions. Or open-ended that, talk. There is genius. Open-ended Pure thought, genius. Yeah. That's how Hitler did his best work. Yeah. Open-ended questions and open-ended thoughts to make you fill in everything you want to fill in so you will vote for me because I didn't tell you to say it. You just came up with it yourself. So that's like, it, it, you People say, and I'm not a Donald Trump fan, but people say Donald Trump is, is stupid. No, he's a fucking genius. Pure he, genius. I don't think that Donald Trump is a genius. I think that Donald Trump is just very cunning. Like he know he knows how to play people. You know? Understand like the verbiage of what you just said about AOC. You mm-hmm. that's the same thing Donald Trump is doing. He's just doing it in an offensive way, not in a defensive way. You just said it. Right. And, and like I said, I mean, if Donald Trump was smart, right? I mean, like, uh, I, don't even, I don't even want to say book smart, just common sense smart, right? You figured, somebody did an analysis. Paris Hilton has made more money with her inheritance than Donald Trump made with his. And Donald Trump had a $100 million inheritance from his father, right? Not including the amount that he tried to steal from his siblings. But Donald Trump went bankrupt uh, six times. And taking risks that no one else would ever really take because people would just look at those risks and be like, well, that's stupid, you know. But the problem is the thing that, the thing that keeps Donald Trump afloat, which I, and not meaning the crisscross, which is part of his genius, is he knows how to play people. He knows how to uh, invoke emotion. He knows how to get, you know, under people's skins. I mean, you figure like this, the whole time that he was whipping uh, the Republicans' asses in the uh, in the debates. He wasn't talking about policy. He was talking about um, he was getting everybody, everybody had a nickname, you know, Lion Ted, Little Marco, you know, all that other stuff, you know. And this is how he got away with avoiding the um, the issues. And when he did talk about the issues, he didn't know what he was talking about. He literally told people in Michigan. Don't sell your houses, even though they knew, okay, these auto plants are going away. Trump came out and was like, look, we're going to bring the plants back, and we're going to take the old plants and rip them down and rebuild them. Don't sell your houses. Don't leave. We're bringing industry back, baby. He knew what to say to get people on the side, but the problem is 
it's just all empty promises. Because now all those plants are closing. People people went home for Thanksgiving dinner and came back to work and found out, oh, oh you, you just lost your job. We're closing the plants. A manipulative mind is a dangerous one. Yeah. And that's what Donald Trump is great at. If I, I, I have I a problem with this. promises. Because you could do you could say whatever you want to say and think you have the power to pull it. But if the policies don't line up, if your Congress and your representatives and all that stuff line up, or the people balk at it, then boom, it's going to fall on deaf ears. But the most important thing is when the ideas that do pass fail. Like, what, was the, what did he give somebody, like, a big tax incentive? And it's like, oh, this is going to really wrap, you know, make things happen for the, um, the country. Oops, right. that didn't work. But, but here's, here's the thing about that. If you have something like, uh, think about something from the Obama era, cash for clunkers, right? On its face, it had a good end game. The end game was supposed to be we're going to lower miles per gallon on these vehicles, right? Everybody's driving around in these gas guzzlers, and we're going to give them incentives to get vehicles that get more miles to the gallon, which will help lower gas prices, right? The program was definitely a program that was run by a first-year president because there were a lot of – I'm not going to go too deep into it because I've already talked about it, but there were a lot of problems with the program. So even though it accomplished its end goal, there were a lot of problems along the way. But the thing is, you had a goal, and the goal was, hey, we're going to lower miles per gallon, right? With Trump, he doesn't really have an agenda. He doesn't really have an end goal. He just figures, hey, people want this. I'm going to tell them I'm going to get it for them. But, and have no intention of getting it for them. Those tax cuts, anybody, a first-year economic student could have told you simply by watching uh, CNN special in the 80s about how trickle-down economics failed miserably. And I'll talk more about that in a moment when we talk about HW. Um, basically, um, Trump didn't do anything different than, um, than Reagan did. So you knew off the bat, so people like me and you, we, we all know that was going to fail. We all know, hey, you can't just give tax cuts to the richest people and then expect stuff, expect good things to happen because they're going to do exactly what they did in the 80s. They're going to use that money. They're going to buy up all their own stock, inflate the stock price, give each other bonuses, and then everybody else can go fuck themselves. And that's exactly what happened with GM. GM bought back, what, $12, $14 billion of their own stock with those tax incentives? Yeah. And, this, and the thing is, we all knew, what, well, the people who pay attention, we all knew that was going to happen. So when I see all these auto workers on, on CNN crying, oh, I can't believe that this happened, I could believe it. And we told you. And yet you voted for Trump anyway. I can't do nothing for you. I can't, I can't waste time be feeling sorry for people who don't Google shit. All you got to do is Google him and just know that he's not going to keep his promise. But that's part of his cunning. He's very cunning and he knows, how to, he knows how to play people. He's the best at it, which is why he's the president. So that part of it is his genius. I will give him that. But as far as being smart, no, he's not a smart guy. He's just very cunning. Yeah, because if he was he, he if he was a smart guy, he wouldn't be sitting at the G twenty by himself. 
<laughs> looking like <laughs> he looks like one of those kids in those TV series. If you use what we call a um a, a curve, like a learning curve or whatever, then he mm-hmm. is smart because the people that voted for him are absolutely stupid. Well, and here's the thing. You don't really expect presidents to do a lot in their first term. I mean, well, in, in their first year, right? So you figure it, it'll probably take a couple of years for a president to hit their stride. And then you figure, okay, the last two years, they, now they know how the system works. Because looking at the system from the outside and being in it is two different things. So you figure you have time to learn the system. Now you know, okay, now you know where all the bodies are buried, as they say, and now you can get stuff done. But the problem with Trump is he hasn't been learning the system. He's been doing the same thing that he did, the same shit he was doing in 2016, he's doing in 2018. So nothing is really going to get done. And now it's a Democratic, well, I mean, granted, I mean, put it like this. I, I rag on Pelosi all the time, but the people who are stepping up to be speaker are worse than Pelosi. So I have no real hope for the House, you know. But there's still enough opposition in the House where Trump is not going to get his crazy agendas done, at least not done easily, you know. And Democrats and the incumbents have to be careful because they don't want to get primaried. Because there's, I mean, after, after AOC's victory, there's a lot of hungry young folks who are just looking to be the next AOC, who are looking to get these moneyed incumbents out of office. So, but... I mean, in certain districts. And Mark, I think you should consider. I think you should consider doing that. I, I, I joked with my friend the other day. I told her if I bought one more suit, because <laughs> I only own one sport coat. If I bought another sport coat, I'd probably run for public office. <laughs> Just so they can't say he got the same sport coat in here on the last debate. <laughs> I am not a close horse. It's not at all. about the coat play. It's about the tie. All you gotta do is have a couple of ties. Oh, ties I got. I got ties. I just don't have any. I just have like one sport coat. That's it. If I bought one more sport coat, I'd run for office. And then people would be like, hey, did he wear that sport coat debate before last? All right, everybody. Now we know what to get Merck for his, um, for Christmas. This, um, we just got to figure out a way to um, him sneakily tell us his size. <laughs> At, at this rate, ask me next week, and I'll forget why. I, I'll forget why you even asked me. <laughs> so, but I, I will say, in some places, that sort of thing is an uphill battle, especially in North Carolina, which is heavily, heavily gerrymandered. And uh, the New Yorker had an excellent article about North Carolina's ninth district. Okay, and I just found this out yesterday. It's been going on for a couple of days, but I just found it out yesterday, and I didn't realize. I know North Carolina is heavily, heavily gerrymandered. I did not realize the extent that all this stuff was going through, okay? Bear with me here. It's a, it's a little bit to read through, but bear with me. It'll all be explained. In October, during the final stretch of the congressional election in North Carolina's 9th District, one of the most tightly contested house races in the nation, Letitia Montgomery opened her door in Bladen County to find a young woman who explained that she was collecting absentee ballots. She said, I filled out two names on that ballot, Hakeem Brown for sheriff and Vince Rosier for Board of Education. 
Montgomery wrote in an, uh, in an affidavit. Under North Carolina law, only voters themselves are allowed to handle or turn in their ballots. But the woman at Montgomery's door stated that the other races were not important. Montgomery added, I gave her the ballot and she said she would finish it herself. I signed the ballot and she left. And it was not sealed up at any time. Okay. On Tuesday, uh, now keep in mind this race in, uh, in the ninth district was between Mark Harris, the Republican, and Dan McCready, the Democrat. Okay. On Tuesday, the state's board of elections made up of four Democrats, four Republicans, and one independent, which tabulates and verifies every vote in the weeks after, after an election, shocked North Carolina's political establishment by voting unanimously not to certify Harris's win. She said, uh, I'm very familiar with the unfortunate activities that have been happening down in my part of the state. Joshua Malcolm, the board's vice chairman and a Democratic resident of the 9th District, said during the meeting. He said, I'm not going to turn a blind eye to what took place. To the best of my understanding, which has been ongoing for a number of years, that has been repeatedly referred to in the, uh, to the United States Attorney, I'm sorry, to the United States Attorney and District Attorneys to take action and clean it up. Okay. One last part. In the general election, uh, it was also found that compared to other counties in the 9th District, a much higher rate of mail-in absentee ballots requested in Bladen and Roberson counties. No, I'm sorry, Roberson County. Uh, mm-hmm. About 40% and 62%, respectively, were never turned in. In fact, those two counties had the highest rates of unreturned absentee ballots of any district in North Carolina, and an analysis of the voting data by, uh, by the Raleigh News and Observer found that the unreturned ballots are disproportionately associated with minority voters who tend to vote for Democrats over Republicans. In Robeson County, 75% of the absentee ballots requested by African Americans and 69% of those requested by Native Americans were never, retur- were never received by the state. On Friday, Harris tweeted, there was absolutely no public evidence that there are enough ballots in question to affect the outcome of this race. But about 1,600 mail-in absentee ballots were requested in the two other counties and not returned in a race decided by fewer than 1,000 votes. Nate Silver, a data journalist and the founder of uh, 538.com, tweeted in response, there are enough ballots in question in NC9 to potentially affect the outcome. What was happening was people like, like, you know, in the first paragraph, they were going to people's houses, uh, Democratic voters, and they were collecting their ballots, which is against the law. Now, when we, sometimes when we talk people about low-information voters, right, we think of them as just being stupid sometimes, but it really just means you just don't know. It doesn't mean you're stupid. It just means you just didn't know. So being a low-information voter in this case, you know, they didn't know, hey, people are not supposed to come to your house and take your absentee ballots. Because they're stupid. <laughs> Which is why they gave them to these people. But... um so when they were taking the ballots, one of three things were happening. Number one, they were, like, in this case, they were filling in the ballots themselves. Number two, they were crossing out the people who they filled in and putting in their own people. Or number three, they were just making the ballots disappear. Yeah, probably just making them disappear. So you figure in one of the counties, uh, you have 
19% registered Republicans in that county, but um, you had 63% in absentee ballots, that doesn't make any sense. That raised a lot of red flags. So now when they investigate this and they find what we pretty much already know, they're going to make them do that whole election over. So it's not even going to be about, oh, there's going to be a runoff. No, we're doing the election over from scratch. And that is rare. Very, very rare that an election is done over from scratch due to fraud. So when I hear Republicans talk about the sanctity of voting, we talk, we talk about the, uh, the poor women from Texas who, uh, who filled in that voter registration form wrong and got eight years in prison. And the judge who uh, turned down her appeal said that the reason for it was we're protecting the sanctity of voting. How would that judge feel about these people here who went to these people's houses and took their absentee ballots and either threw them in the trash or filled them out themselves? How would that judge feel about them? I wonder how that judge would sentence them. Would he give them eight years? Would he give them 12 years? For, for knowingly breaking a law. There was a case in the 2012 elections where uh, somebody got caught taking a whole bunch of voter registration forms and throwing them in a dumpster. And someone saw him do it and called the cops on him. You know what that guy got? Probation. Never, yeah, saw, a day, never saw a day in jail for blatant, blatant election fraud. Throwing out people's uh, applications to vote. So I will definitely be keeping an eye on this to find out what happens with this whole thing. But it's absolutely ridiculous when they talk about <clears throat> when they talk about voter fraud, right? You know, there's very little voter fraud in America. Talking about in-person voter fraud. Like Trump actually said that there were people who were voting and then going home and changing clothes and coming back and voting again or getting in disguises and voting again. I know that sounds stupid. And even though coming out of my mouth, it still sounds stupid. But that's what the president said. The president said that people were voting and then going back and changing clothes and getting in disguise and coming back and voting again, which is impossible. Because when I go to vote, they take my I tell, no, I tell no, them no, I, no, no, it's not impossible. I did that this year, and they actually called me on They said, somebody else used this address, and I just had to play a stupid. Like, I said, don't multiple people live in a house? Hello, I am Mexican. Fucking <laughs> 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 blue, waiting in those that's muddy waters. But that's, what, um, but that's, part, of the, that's part of the point, though. When, they, when you go to vote, they, they find you in the book, and then they take your, uh, your sticker, and they put it on your ballot. At least those of us who have paper ballots, you know. And then you can, but you can't vote unless they find you in the book. So what are you going to do? You're going to go home and change and then do what? Say, hello, my name is Montgomery Burns. I'd like to vote again. I mean, for the first well, you time. Come back, you, might, you, might, you might come back one day. I'm Tom Sawyer. You change up a little bit. You come back. I'm Hick- I'm Huckleberry Finn. You come back next time. You might be like I'm I'm Mark Twain. 
I mean, so yeah, you can do it because remember, up until now, we didn't have to show an ID. So he could well, like, like Mark said, though, you have to be in. You have to be registered. You have to be in the book. If, if they can't find you, they look your name up and your name and address. Okay, don't that's valid. That's valid. That's valid. Okay, respect, then, respect. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And even, uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of. I don't know how they thought they were gonna, they were going to get away with that. But uh, you know, actually, I do know how they how they thought they were going to get get away with it. They figured that the Republicans on that board were just going to go with it, and maybe the Independent because they would have needed a five four vote to uh, to verify it. And even the Republicans because on the board, Independents actually lean towards more Republican Democrats. So that's actually that was a good call. Yeah, and they figured, well, they'll just rubber stamp it and we'll be good. But even they were just like, oh, this is bullshit. I can't put my name on this piece of shit. And then they voted uh, to not certify the election. So it's absolutely, it's absolutely ridiculous that we as a country, our philosophy is to go to other parts of the world and promote democracy, and we can't do it right. Not even close. We're not even considered to be a democracy anymore. We're considered to be an oligarchy because only time anything ever passes is if rich people want it to. And that's not hyperbole. That's at, they actually ran the numbers on that. Only time something progressive passes is if rich people want it to pass. If they don't want it to pass, it will not pass because they will just dump a bunch of money on it and make sure it doesn't pass. So we can't promote democracy across the world if we can't get it right. We suck at it. We're terrible at democracy. You know. And, 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 and even uh, to the simple stuff. Like, you ever hear of a, of a pundit named Laura Loomer? Mm-mm. That name is not familiar, no. And, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, for her name sounds do, like, do me. <laughs> Laura Loomer is is a a, a Jewish conservative and she's very anti-Muslim and um, when I talk about people not being able, not getting it right right, about the First Amendment the First Amendment basically states that you can uh, speak out against the government without, without fear of reprisal Right. So if your government, so if you think a government is doing wrong, you can speak out against the government. I mean, you figured Jamal Khashoggi, uh, he lives, in, he lived in a country where he didn't have that right, which is why he's dead now, because he was a journalist who spoke out against the, the Saudi royals, and now they put a hit out on him. You can't do that in America, at least not yet. It's coming, but not yet. And and the first to go, uh, uh, what's his name? I almost said I almost said Jake Tapper. It wasn't Jim Acosta first to go? <laughs> he on, he on, as soon as Trump overturns that, he gonna turn up missing. Anybody seen Jim lately? No. Dead. But um, basically, Laura Loomer got uh, cut from Twitter. Twitter canceled her account, and she has made a number of anti-Muslim remarks on Twitter, right? So uh, 
part of the, the freshman class is a, uh, I think it was in Michigan, no, uh, Minnesota, uh, Ihan Omar. So she is Muslim and one of the first Muslim Americans to become, uh, to get elected to Congress. So she, so she basically uh, made statements about her saying that she's anti-Jewish and pro-Sharia law. And keep in mind, it's like most deaf said, how did the straw break the camel's back? Here's the secret. It's the million other straws underneath it. And that's basically what happened. This wasn't just like her first offense. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. Gotcha. So when people like Laura Loomer, like um, Charlie Kirk, like, uh, you know, all these other right-wing jackasses, when someone that they don't like, when they get banned from Twitter or when they get fired from CNN, they're just like, good, it's about time. But when one of their folks gets uh, deplatformed, then it's, well, where's my First Amendment rights? Did you read, did you read the First Amendment? And uh, go ahead. No, I didn't say anything. I said no. You right. Oh, they have to remember one thing. It would all. And somebody made this point uh, yesterday, and I agree. The only way that you could even get away with that is if Twitter was a government platform, but it's not. It's a private company. So a private company has terms of service, right? And if you break the terms of service, they have the right to ban you. So the reason why I brought up Laura Loomer is not because she got banned. These, these jackasses get banned all the time. Laura Loomer went to New York, and there's a Twitter office in New York, and she handcuffed herself to the door of the Twitter um, headquarters. And then she wore a, a sweatshirt that had a, a yellow Star of David on it. The yellow Star of David, I didn't know this, was basically uh, what the Nazis made uh, European Jews wear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah. I didn't know that. I remember that from Anne Frank. Yeah, and, and, and I didn't know that. So, um, and then on, on, on the back of his sweatshirt, it said, Stop the Bias. See, the problem is, if anybody's going to say dumb shit that's going to get them banned, it's going to be Republicans. You know, there was a, a, a contributor on CNN who got fired for backing uh, Palestine. Right. And that's, that's a, a rare case of somebody, you know, liberal being fired for something like that. But you figured the reason why she went out like that and, you know, got all desperate is because without their platform, they're nothing. Put it like this. You think Alex Jones would have been as big as he was without YouTube and, and Twitter and Facebook? No. You know what, they used to, you know what people like, like Alex Jones was? You ever, you ever walk down the street and there's like some crazy guy standing on a soapbox just talking about crazy shit and people just walking by ignoring him? That would have been Alex Jones then. 30 years ago. Could have been that crazy guy. Oh, is that crazy guy talking about men, bear, pigs, and gay frogs again? Yeah. Oh, whatever. I'm going to work, you know. But but in this day and age, he became famous off of it. And, of course, he he had the starter, broke the camel's back, and they deplatformed him. 
So now you haven't heard from Alex Jones in months. Mm-hmm. You know, and Laura Loomer is, is looking at the same way. Without her Twitter followers, you know, no one's going to her stupid ass website to listen to what she has to say. So it seems to be the only punishment that sticks for these people is to deplatform them. You know, and that's why they get desperate and chain themselves to, and handcuff themselves to doors. The cops eventually came with their bolt cutters, and I don't know if they arrested her, but they cut her off from the door, and they were just like, yeah, whatever, go away. No one knows who you are. I didn't, and, and I'll tell you the truth. I didn't know who she was until yesterday. Mm. I really didn't because these, uh, these right-wing pundits are a dime a dozen, you know. But they were like, but she, at one point she said, Twitter is evil. Yeah, which is why you change yourself to the door so you can get your account back. You know? <laughs> These yeah, people. that's what's always interesting to me is, like, I, I remember uh, when that guy, like, deactivated 45's account. I'm sure that dude had a meltdown. I hope. I'd like to think that he caught it when it happened. Right. But being told about it later, and was probably like, "What the fuck is happening here?" <sighs> At least I like to think. I like to think that that's how it went down, anyway. Yeah. But jumping subjects, um, or, or, or what I like to call a sloppy segue. What do you guys remember? You know, we we know uh, George H. W. Bush passed away. He was ninety, ninety two, ninety four. Ninety four. I think he was ninety four. Yep. Ninety four. Yeah. Let me ask you guys a question. I'll open up to the panel here. What do you what do you remember the most about George H. W. Bush? It could be something good. It could be something bad. What do you remember about him the most? I remember he was a one-term president, but the things that he put in place made Bill Clinton look like he was the man. <laughs> yep. You got that right. What about what about you, Van? What do you remember most about H. W. Uh, I remember getting a very, very low percentage when it came to me getting paid when I was on active service. It was one of the lowest. Mm. It's funny. I have uh, someone who I used to work with, and um, she loved Reagan for that exact opposite reason because, you know, Reagan poured a lot of money into the military, and she was in the, she was in the Navy during that time. You know? My brother fought in, in, in the Gulf War, so I don't know how we got paid, but... You know, I would imagine, like, I mean, I'll take your word on it, that it probably wasn't a lot, you know. Clinton was about, number higher. Oh, say again? Clinton was number higher. And then, um, Odie, what about you? What do you remember, the, what do you remember most about HW? Um, I do remember my mother being excited that we were going to wake up with a new president. I remember her tucking me in and saying, oh, we're going to have a new president. But... I mean, when Clinton won, <laughs> so <laughs> seemed very excited. Everybody in my household was very excited that Clinton was coming. Um, but as far as myself, I don't. I was too young to remember anything uh, about his policy or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I do remember, like I do remember the war on drugs, and that being like Barbara's thing about um, rehab and all of that. Uh, I remember that being a thing, but 
and don't, and just say no. Like I remember that campaign. That was uh, definitely something elementary kids learned. Um, hmm. But that's about it. You know, and 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 you probably remember so little about them that you that you forgot that just say no was Nancy Reagan's thing. Shit. <laughs> well, it was the eighties. Yeah. That was it. So yeah, no. All right, yeah. well then, shit, I don't remember. I couldn't tell you then. <laughs> the thing I remember the most about H&W was uh, read my lips, no new taxes. And back I then, I, 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 I didn't have the perspective back then, you know, because I was, I was much younger. I wasn't really into politics. But I remember him running for office, and his whole big thing was, you know, you know Congress is going to try to push me, and I'm going to say, read my lips, no new taxes. And then he raised taxes, and that pretty much sank him for the presidency, you know, because they, they used that against him. But here's the thing about that. Um, if he didn't raise taxes, America would have gone into another great, uh, great Depression because of eight years of Reaganomics. And a lot of people didn't really give him credit for that, for – the whole thing about raising taxes because you figure how did California get out of its debt? They raised taxes. Now, keep in mind, they raised taxes and cut spending. Okay? But they raised taxes. Usually in the states where they raise taxes, they do great. In states where they give tax money away, like most of the South, they do terrible. And who supports them? The blue states. So... H.W. saved us from a Great Depression that Reagan left them with by raising taxes, but it, it, he broke his paramount campaign promise that he wasn't going to raise taxes. Mm. And I'm pretty sure there were smart people who knew he, that he had to do it. I, like I said, I was, in, I was in college during the Gulf War. I had just got out of high school. I was in, I was in college, so... I, mean, I was not really into politics like that. Um, another thing I remember about H.W., which is uh, put into play much later, of course, was that he got out of Iraq. Because in the first Gulf War, I didn't know this until much later, they wanted him to stay in Iraq. And he said no. He said that wasn't the plan. The plan was we're going to go in and liberate uh, Kuwait. And we did that, so we're leaving. Now, you, you would think that his, his grown-up jizz, Bush Jr., would have followed that advice, but no. No. That's why that war was always referred to finishing the war his daddy started. Yeah. But uh, when you're a president and you die, people tend to see you in a more positive light, you know. I'm pretty sure that when Jimmy Carter's time comes, Jimmy Carter's like 92 or 93 himself, you know. I'm pretty sure that when Obama dies many years from now, uh, there will be some people who will bring up the bad. They'll bring up, and, and, and they'll have every right to do so, and bring up like the, uh, the accelerated drone program, you know, stuff like that. Him not fighting for public options, stuff like that. But there will also be a lot of good that will be shared as well. You know, and that will, the good will outweigh the bad. But when Trump dies, it's going to be all bad. 
No, I don't know, though. Like, I was thinking about this after you posted this, and it, I was just thinking to myself, like, damn, it really pains me to think about because, I mean, not, not even, like, if, but, like, when this man goes, he will be washed anew. Like, he, death is one of those things where it doesn't matter. Um, it just doesn't matter. Like, death just makes everybody come out clean on the other side. It reminds me of, did, did you ever see Fences? Did I see what? Fences with Denzel Washington. Yes, and Viola. Mm-hmm. You remember? Um, I mean, I'm hoping we're not spoiler alert. If you haven't watched Fences yet and you still want to watch it, but yeah, it's like two years old. Like, yeah, uh, we want to do spoilers now. If yeah, you want yeah, to yeah. see, you want to see there. But you remember when Denzel's character dies, and they have the funeral, and they could have they could have said a whole bunch of ugly shit about him, but they didn't. They chose mm-hmm. to focus on the good. You know. Yep. That's what happens when presidents die. They focus on the good. But there's always going to be people who are going to remember that, yeah, he did do some good, but he was also a piece of shit, and a lot of people died because of him. Yeah. You know. And, those, and then blessed be those people because they keep things in perspective. So um, The Intercept wrote an article, and the article was called The Ignored Legacy of George H.W. Bush, War Crimes, Racism and obstruction of justice. I'm going to glance over some of these things. Okay, so number one, uh, he ran a racist campaign. Uh, I'm sorry, a racist election campaign when he ran against uh, Dukakis, right? You remember the whole thing with Willie Horton? No. Willie Horton uh, was basically uh, basically he was a, a murderer. And he had a weekend furlough program, right? And he escaped and then raped a woman in Maryland, right? Mm. Basically, and and I'm reading this from The Intercept, a notorious television ad called Weekend Passes released by a political action committee with ties to the Bush campaign made clear to viewers that Horton was black and his victim was white. As Bush campaign director Lee Atwater bragged, by the time we're finished, they're going to wonder where whether Willie Horton is the caucus's running mate. Mm. You know, they really, really tied this thing together. It was basically their version of Mexicans are rapists and, and, mm. thieves and, and some may be good people. Right, right. You know. Um, when we got into the Iraq War, the, the first Gulf War, and this I didn't know until I read the article. Like I said, there was a lot of stuff that I didn't pay attention to because I was much younger back then. Basically, and this is, this is also from the, uh, from the article, Bush told the American people that Iraq had invaded Kuwait without provocation or warning. What he omitted to mention was that the U.S. ambassador to Iraq, April, April Glaspie, had given an effective green light to Saddam Hussein, telling him in July 1990, a week before the invasion, we have no opinion on Arab-Arab conflicts, like your border disagreement with Kuwait. So basically, she just told him, yeah, if you invade, if you invade Kuwait, who gives a shit? We don't care. We don't care. You guys kill each other in the sand. We don't give a fuck. And then we gave a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, and then um, there was fabrication of intelligence. So supposedly they had top secret satellite images that up to 250,000 Iraqi troops and 1,500 tanks stood on the border threatening the key U.S. oil supplier, which is Kuwait. But when another reporter uh, acquired her own commercial satellite images of the Saudi border, she found no signs of Iraqi forces, only an empty desert. Does, does that sound familiar, the fabricated uh, evidence to go to war? Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly what Bush Jr. did. And um, the worst part was... Uh, yeah. The worst part was the war crimes. There was there was a comedian, Sam Kinison. He was one of my favorites. Uh, he released an al- uh, a posthumous album called Live from Hell, and there was a part where he talked about the Iraq War, right? And you know he was definitely you know America fuck yeah type guy. And he said, I hate the gall. Talking about Iraq, he said, I hate the gall of these countries that come back to us three weeks after the war and go, Hey, could you help us out? Our cities are all fucked up. Our highways are destroyed. There's nothing to eat. People are out of work. And he was like, yeah. He was like, yeah, I know. Because that's just what the fuck we want to do to you, you see. That was our goal. That was our military objective. <laughs> and we saw that. I saw that as a joke when that album came out, right? The album came out like 20 years ago. But I don't know if Kinison knew something that I didn't know, but it was actually a fact, okay? They said under George Bush Sr., the U.S. dropped 88,000 tons of bombs on Iraq, and Iraqi occupied Kuwait, many of which resulted in, in horrific civilian casualties. Um, in February 91, a U.S. airstrike on, uh, air, uh, on an air raid shelter killed 408 Iraqi civilians. Okay. U.S. bombs also destroyed essential Iraqi civilian infrastructure from electricity generating and water treatment facilities to food processing plants and flour mills. This was no accident. Okay. Some targets, especially late in the war, were bombed primarily to create post-war leverage over Iraq, not to influence the course of the conflict itself. Planners now say that their intent was to destroy or damage viable facilities that Baghdad could not repair without foreign assistance. Because of these goals, damage to civilian structures in, in Indus, uh they were described as collateral damage, but it really wasn't. They targeted these things on purpose. So the Bush administration deliberately targeted civilian infrastructure for leverage over Saddam Hussein. So how is this not terrorism? Okay. Well, and they are doing it in the name of freedom and we're white. <laughs> exactly. You know, I I know some people who lost loved ones on September 11th, you know. Mm. And I don't like to use September 11th in an example like this. I really don't, you know, because I'm from New York, you know, and it's a personal thing. Every time I would take the bus home after that and not see the Twin Towers, it would make me angry. But you would have thought that it would have taught us a lesson, that that one horrific day in September of 2001, there are people who go through that every day, every day for them, September 11th. You understand? 
in Syria, in Yemen, every day September 11th. Right. Every day they wake up and they go through this all the time. They were, in, in countries where we do our drone strikes, there were people who say that they hate the sunshine. They love cloudy, rainy days because on cloudy, rainy days, the drones don't fly. So at least they know if it's raining, someone's not going to get ganked. <clears throat> you know? So, I mean, even in, even in pro wrestling, you know, I was, a, I was a big pro wrestling fan then. And they had uh, Sergeant Slaughter turned, uh, turned traitor. You know, he turned heel and joined the Iraqi army. <laughs> and he had, like, Iraqi bodyguards. It was, it was horrible, you know, for wrestling fans. And then he was a champ. <laughs> so he's a champ, and he's got the belt. I'm talking about, you know, if Hulk Hogan doesn't beat me, I'm taking the belt back to Iraq. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I know, you know, but I'll, but back then we didn't we didn't have the resources that we have now, you know. We don't have YouTube, we don't have Twitter, we don't have people giving us news like the actual news, not the news that mm-hmm. is formatted for the public, but the actual stuff that's going on. We didn't have that back then, so a lot of us are finding this stuff out now. Like, all that stuff about um, all these civilian deaths, I didn't know that then because they didn't really talk about that in the news. Yeah. They just talked about us routing the, uh, the Iraqi army. They didn't talk about all the civilians that died. You know. So it, 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 was, uh, it was absolutely – Ridiculous. I mean, and, and like I said, I, I'm not going to go over all this, but I will go over a couple more things really quick because we're almost out of time. Uh, he, they talk about how Bush escalated the war on drugs. Not just the war on drugs, the racist war on drugs. You remember when Bush was in the Oval Office and he held up that bag of crack that he said that um, – uh, that they got it right across the street from the White House? <laughs> no, but that sounds really accurate for D.C. in the 80s. But they didn't get it across the street from the White House. If you watched the special on, um, God, it was on Netflix. They were talking about uh, Freeway Ricky Ross. They had, mm-hmm. a, they had a documentary about him. And they talked about where they really got that uh when he really got that, I don't remember it, but they didn't get it across the street from the White House. They got it from someplace else. No, I'm but, sure. that's, but that's what they told people to uh, emote you know, them. Yeah. Get them right. Yeah. You know, and then of course uh, the whole thing about the AIDS epidemic, and it was just, you know, he just did a lot of horrible shit. But just like you said, Odie, exactly like you said, he's dead, so we're just going to remember the good things. And we'll just sweep the bad things away. But there's always going to be people from certain publications who are going to say, yeah, he did some good, but he also did a lot of bad. And here it is. Lest we forget. But... But, uh... Before before we wrap it up, 
Did you guys have anything on your mind that you wanted to talk about? Anything that you saw in the on your feeds lately? Anything like that? Hmm. Um. Nothing that came across my timeline. Uh, well, I will say this: one thing that has seemed to come full circle is um, since we're talking about drugs, um, we know that the now this administration has decided to do something about the quote-unquote opioid epidemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so that should be interesting. Um, yeah, basically we have this administration now saying, well, it's a it's a big deal, like the drugs, you know, let's do it for the children, let's do it for the country, and let's get control on this, this epidemic here and... I noticed that some legis- legislation legislation was passed um, to help rectify the issue, I guess. So that should be interesting to see how that affects. But it's just obviously now this generation is being dis- – drugs are disproportionately affecting non-people of color. Mm-hmm. So now it's, it's worthy of attention. But um, – hmm. Yeah, we'll see how that pans out. Yeah. Uh, it probably, but I will say this, though. I'm really, I'm kind of excited about that, mainly because um, a lot of the times when legislation like this is passed, there are certain people that are in mind for the benefits of it, and then the unexpected group of people benefits from it. So basically they made it for them, but we're going to benefit from it. And that's right. what I'm excited about, and that should be really interesting to see, especially now that we have more people of color passing sentencing on black people. So it should be a little more – we should see a little more justice in the legal system. Time will tell, but I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. I definitely hope so. I definitely hope so. I mean, it's not these people don't need help, but the people in the 80s needed help too. You know, yeah. people who were hooked on crack and stuff like that, they needed help as well. And they yeah. didn't get it. They got put in prison. Yeah. And I don't want to keep harping on that, but it is what it is. And it still stings for people who are probably just getting out of prison now, you know, for stuff that happened 10, 15 years ago. And then now, they real, and now they're seeing these new people who are getting hooked on drugs who are just getting the help that they need. And then they were like, well, what, well, what about me? Why couldn't I get the help that I needed 10, 15 years ago when they threw me in prison. So, there, was, there was one point, I, I forget what year it was, it was maybe like uh, three or four years ago. They had said that for that year, 90% of all new heroin users were white. And, it was, and it's because uh, oxy, oxycodone, oxycodone is basically heroin. It's basically just legal heroin. So when people can't afford to pay 50 bucks a pill anymore to get high, they just switch to heroin because it's cheaper. So it's it's absolutely crazy. But, you know, hopefully people will start to get the help that they need and then other people, other people will benefit as well. So, Van, what about you? Did you have anything that was on your mind before we wrap up? No, sir, I do not. I'm blank. 
<laughs> what about you, Mr. Blue? Nope. So, all right. And then one thing before before we wrap up, there was something that came into my feed. There was an update on Amantic, uh, um, Amantic Bradford, uh, EJ, as he was known to his uh, his family and friends. And it was it was a it was a small update. We'll find out more what happened. But they got the autopsy back on him. Uh, I mentioned that he was shot in the head uh, by the undercover officer in the uh, in that mall in Alabama. Actually, he was shot three times um, in the head, uh, neck, and hip. But uh, he was shot from behind. So either uh, either he was running away from the officer, or he did, or he never saw it coming. So we'll, we'll, we'll find out more about that. But the family requested an autopsy, and the autopsy just came back earlier today, and they found out he was shot in the back. Okay. So okay. going to ask which area This was a shooting at the mall in Alabama where um, 21-year-old uh, E.J. Bradford was shot. They thought that he was, uh, they thought he was the shooter. Yeah, you know, gotcha. there was like a fight or something that was breaking up first. Yes, and then uh, there were there were shots fired, and actually two other people were shot. They thought that EJ was the shooter, and they shot him because at first they were saying that we got the shooter, and then they then when they took a closer look, they were like, oh, he's not the shooter. So the sh- now keep in mind that a suspect turned themselves into the cops uh, earlier today, who may be the actual shooter. So we'll we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, he was shot three times. I thought he was only shot once in the head. No, he shot three times and all three shots were in the back. So we'll see what bullshit excuse they use to 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 get off on this one. <laughs> we'll see. But all right. And uh that's all I had. Blue, play us off, sir. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the Urban Breakdown podcast featuring hit shows such as Politrix, 360 Degrees, and Mr. to Mr. Available on all streaming podcast apps, except for iHeartRadio, because they're going bankrupt and won't be around much longer. <laughs>
I still got you. I'm too busy chasing money, I can't get involved. But you know, once we hit the sheets, we going hard. I give you that good loving. If that's what you want, and I can make it wet for you. If that's what you want, oh. Good loving. If that's what you want, you want.